grab your Bibles this morning as they're headed out there and uh, turn to the book of Luke, the book of Luke chapter 9. We're going to be in Luke 9 again and uh, we're just, what what we're doing here is just we want to spend a couple weeks um, as we're continuing to unpack our our vision uh, for our church, and hopefully it's not, as I said, just a vision for this year. I, I pray, and I, I really do believe this is a vision that we've had in, in the past, uh, and certainly it's something we want to go on, not just for this this year. It's something that uh, we are hoping that we become as a church long term, and uh, that is that we exist at Union Baptist Church to glorify God by growing disciples of Jesus Christ in community. That's why we exist. We're here for God's glory. Uh, And the way that we glorify God most fully as a church body, what we're called to do is by growing or making disciples of Jesus Christ. And we do that in the context of of community. And we're going to unpack all of that. But but it's kind of like a good a good beef stew or a a, a good soup. Uh, Sometimes you, you have it the second or third day. It's even better. Right. Because it's been it's been marinating in there, and all the flavors are blending together, and, uh, and and it tastes even better the second and third time. And that's what we want to do when it comes to discipleship. We started last week just talking about what it means to be a disciple, and uh, if we're here, if we exist to glorify God by growing disciples, well, we have to know what a disciple is. We we have to make sure first of all that we are disciples. We can't make disciples if we're not disciples. And I think and all too often when we look at churches and, and, and so often the, 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 the call is make disciples, evangelize, evangelize, go out and preach the gospel, make disciples, evangelize. And that's said over and over again, but there's a fundamental problem that, that lost people, people who are not really themselves disciples of Jesus Christ, they don't make disciples. Right? You have to first be a disciple before you make a disciple. You can't take somebody to a location that you've never been. Okay, so we've got to know what it means to be a disciple. We've got to make sure that we are disciples ourselves if we're going to grow disciples. And so that's what we're doing just last week, this week, probably next week as well. Just soaking in some of the teaching of Jesus as far as what it means to be a disciple. And and we're reflecting on are we doing that as a church? And am I personally a disciple of Jesus Christ according to his according to his meaning? Right. Because here's what here's the danger of what we can do. Uh, I was talking to somebody this week about some, you know, more uh, like heretical groups. And a lot of times what they do is they use a lot of the same terminology that we use. They use all the same vocabulary, the same words, but they they cut the meaning out of those words and they fill them with their own meaning. So they will talk about God or Jesus or salvation or grace. But what they mean by grace or salvation or Jesus or God is something fundamentally different than what the Bible says. And we can do that with Christianity. We can say, I'm a Christian, but we've hollowed it of its meaning. And so what we want to do is just go to Scripture and say, what does Christ say that it is to be a Christian? What does Christ say it is to be a disciple? And that's what we're doing. So uh, Luke, Luke chapter 9, verse number 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, great, come on. Now Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. 
To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury the dead, their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We're going to look this morning at what Jesus requires here, this stringent requirement for discipleship. But before we do that this morning, I think we need to just look at the context a little bit because we read that, uh, we read that, those verses and we, we think about a man saying, I need to bury my father first and then I'll come to follow you. That, that seems like a reasonable expectation or somebody say, I'll follow you, but let me go back and just at least say goodbye to my family first. And that seems reasonable. Uh, and, and yet in each one of them, I think what Jesus is saying here is that their response to Jesus' call to discipleship is deficient. We're going to look at that, but I think, first of all, we've got to understand the context in which Jesus is saying this, because Jesus isn't saying this in a context where it's going to be easy to follow him. Jesus wants these people who, who seem to be wavering a little bit in his estimation, and he knows the hearts of all men. He, he sees these excuses as just that, excuses that, that point to the fact that they aren't completely sold out. They are not completely committed to being his disciples. And it's in the context of what I want to look at at verse 51. Uh, in, in this point in the book of Luke, as with all the Gospels, there's sort of a transition that occurs in which Jesus begins to speak of going to Jerusalem and being crucified. And this is what it says in verse 51, if we back up a little bit. It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's the context in which Jesus offers this call of discipleship and in which he says basically to them, look, there can be no wavering. There can be no hesitation when it comes to being my disciple, when it comes to following me. There can't be an ounce of, well, I'm not sure, or let me, let me at least do this first and then I'll do it. When it comes to thinking about following Jesus, a Jesus who's going to Jerusalem to be crucified, uh, there's no room for that at all. We see here the days drew near. Uh, this idea that we see all throughout the Gospels and in fact throughout uh, the rest of Scripture in the New Testament, there's an understanding that Jesus had come for a purpose in this world. Jesus had come and, and he had something very specific, a very specific task on his mind that he had come to do. And that was to go to Jerusalem and be crucified, to die as the sacrificial lamb for our sins. And Jesus knew that from the start. He knew that's where he was headed. And when it says here, when the days drew near, there was an appointed time for him that he knew was coming. And he knew it's right around the corner when the, when the days drew near. All throughout, especially the, the Gospel of John, we see moments where Jesus will say things like, my hour has not yet come. And then later on in the book of, of the Gospel of John, we see that, that in chapter 12, there's a hinge there in the Gospel of John where, where Jesus finally says all along he's been saying, my hour has not yet come. And then in chapter 12, he says, my hour has now come. Jesus understood that there was something that, uh, that he was headed toward. There was a, a destiny, that there was a plan in the providence of God that, that he was headed for Jerusalem to be crucified. He knew that that hour was coming. And so he knew there was no room for 
wavering. We see here the hour that he's talking about, the days drawing near, is for him to be taken up. For him to be taken up, this is a, a, an expression here that is used to refer to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He knew the day was coming for him to be lifted up on the cross. John 3, uh, verse 14, it says, As the, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. In John chapter 12, Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. When he uses that expression to be lifted up, it's talking about his crucifixion. And so the days are drawing near. It's just a short amount of time from this point in the book of Luke until when Jesus is going to Jerusalem, he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be crucified and be lifted up. But notice the resolve that Jesus has. He set his face to Jerusalem. He knew that was coming and he didn't waver. He didn't, he, he didn't, he didn't back away from it. He didn't shy away from it and say, you know, maybe we won't go to Jerusalem just quite yet. I'm not sure how that's going to turn out. No, he knew what was coming. He knew the plan of God. He knew that this was God's purpose for his life. And yet he courageously set his face to go to Jerusalem. Albert Barnes in his commentary on this verse, he said, when a man goes to an object, he may be said to set his face toward it. The expression here means only that he resolved to go. And it implies that he was not appalled by the dangers, that he was determined to brave all and go into the midst of his enemies to die. It speaks of the absolute resolve that Jesus Christ had, knowing full well what was coming, knowing what was just around the corner. He was resolved to go to Jerusalem to die on the cross. He, he said, for this purpose have I come into the world. And he knew that. You know, the reason I think that this context is so important is because this, in this context that he gives this call to discipleship. If you're following this Jesus, you're following a Jesus who set his face to go to Jerusalem and die. All right. You know, it might have been easy for Peter at one point to say, yes, I'm a disciple of Jesus. You know, as Jesus is going around and healing people, as he's going around and there are thousands of people and he's standing up on the mountains and preaching great sermons. I'm one of his disciples. I'm following Jesus. I'm definitely a follower. In fact, I'm in the inner circle. There's three of us, me and James and John, and we're in the inner circle. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's great. As Jesus is healing people, as, as Jesus is making the Pharisees and these religious leaders just look so foolish in his debates with them, yep, I'm, I'm with him, right? It's easy to follow that Jesus, but now this, this Jesus who's going to Jerusalem... This Jesus who has an hour, this Jesus who the book of Acts says was, was delivered up by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God to be crucified. This Jesus that was going to be lifted up, well that Jesus is a little bit harder to follow, isn't he? And that's the struggle that Peter has. As he's standing there and Jesus has been betrayed and he's been arrested and he's being tried now in the middle of the night and, and, and Peter is confronted. Are, are you a follower of Jesus? And what does Peter say? No, I don't know the man. Right? No, I, I'm pretty sure when this little girl comes out, I'm pretty sure I've seen you with him. In fact, you were bragging about being in his inner circle, right? And uh, Peter says, no, I don't. And then finally the third time Peter curses and says, I don't know him. Leave me alone, right? Why is that? 
It's because that Jesus is a little bit harder to follow, isn't he? The Jesus that's going to die. That's why it didn't make sense to Peter. When, when Jesus was saying this all along, uh, you know, there are several passages in each of the Gospels where Jesus three times tells them very plainly, very clearly, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be delivered over to, to our enemies, and they're going to crucify me. And what does Peter say to Jesus? No, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. That's no way. Don't. That's that's not real. That's that's not what you've come to do. I know that's not right. And Jesus says, "Satan, get behind me!" Right? Because this is the plan of God. This is what is going to happen. You know, in reality, when Peter says, "I don't know the man," uh, in, in a sense, we know that he's lying there, and there's there's no truth to that. But in another sense, there's a truth to that Peter's saying, "I don't know that man." I don't know this Jesus that is going to the cross, this Jesus that has an hour, this Jesus that's going to be lifted up. I don't know that. When, when he spoke that, in a sense, he spoke some truth. I don't know that Jesus. I knew the Jesus that was healing and teaching and all of these things. I really was not acquainted with the facts very well that he was going to be crucified. And so as we come to... This call to discipleship, we've got to see it in light of that. It's a call to follow a Jesus who goes to the cross. It's, call, it's a call to follow a suffering servant. It's, it's a call to follow somebody in such a way that there can be no wavering, right? If you're wavering, if you're hesitating, if you're haltering and faltering and, and, and no, I'm not so sure about this, if you're like that, when it comes to suffering, you're not going to follow Jesus. You'll pull back, you'll draw back, you'll go, you'll, you'll leave Jesus uh, saddened as, as some did. When you understand the full weight of what is called and what it means to follow Jesus Christ. So we must understand uh, that, that following Jesus requires an unqualified commitment. Jesus in his interactions with these people is really helping us to see the cost of discipleship, helping us to fully understand the weight of what it means to follow him. We just see several principles or several truths of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we're just going to jump into those. We see five of these this morning. First, the, the, the thing that we see is that following Jesus cannot be a careless commitment. Following Jesus cannot be a careless commitment. We see the first man, and what we see here is that uh, three different people come, and I, I think Luke puts these stories together to help us see in, in, in a group of three the repetitiveness of that and the completeness of the number three. Uh, he, he's trying to show us uh, a, a truth, and he wants to see the same truth, really, I think, in, in each one, but there are, there are unique aspects to each one of these men that comes to Jesus and says that they will follow him. And so we want to just mine the truth and, and see here what it means to follow Jesus. First, Jesus, uh, following Jesus cannot be a careless commitment. The first man comes to Jesus and says, look, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And on face value, right, that sounds good. That sounds like he understands what it means. Wherever you go, I'll go. But clearly Jesus sees in his, in his commitment that this man has not fully sat down and thought through. You know, in a, another passage, which we'll probably look at next week, uh, Jesus, Jesus says, look, you've got to first sit down and count the cost. Nobody builds a tower. Nobody, no king goes to war unless they first sit down and count the cost. I think what we're seeing with this first man is that this is a man who has not fully counted the cost. 
And Jesus is trying to bring him face to face with that. He, he gives sort of a careless, frivolous commitment. Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But this man perhaps doesn't understand that this is not just the Jesus of miracles and the Jesus of healing and multiplying fish and loaves. This is the Jesus who has just set his face to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. And so Jesus pushes back on that. What he says here to this man is, listen, he said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And I think what this is saying to this man is not just about the fact that if you come with me, bring your own pillow. Uh, you know, make sure you bring uh, something to, to lay on. That's, that's not the point. I think what, what Jesus is pushing back on here is, is just simply to say this. When, when you come to follow me, you're, you're coming to, to a, a place in which you're going to be a sojourner in this life. You're coming to a place in which all the comforts and luxuries of having that place that you call home uh, are going to be taken away. They're going to be stripped away. You know, the Bible calls us sojourners. It, it calls us pilgrims. Uh, we, we sing the song, right? This world is not my home. I'm just passing through, right? That's what part of what is required when you come to follow Jesus Christ. And we know for some, it literally means that Jesus calls them to the mission field or he calls them to some ministry and, and they are required to leave their home and to, to go to some foreign place. But for others of us, it's, it's not, a, not a, a physical move, but it's a spiritual and an emotional move in which we don't leave our home place, but, but we become like foreigners in the very place that we live because we take on new customs. We, we, we take on new ideas that are altogether foreign from the place in which we live. And so we come to experience what it means to be a sojourner. And that's what Jesus is saying here. If you come to follow me, you have to be willing to do that. You have to be willing to, to leave your home, so to speak and to give that up. We see that, I think, again, for some missionaries, but for all of us, there's a call to make this, to make this move, to, to part with some of the comforts and luxuries, to, to part with some of the comfortability of, of being at home, right? We know what that means, right? When you're at home, you can let down your guard. You feel comfortable. You, you feel at ease. But Jesus is saying here, when you follow me, you're giving that up. You're laying that aside. The son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head. You become sojourners in this land. From this point on, Jesus is telling this man, your commitment to follow him is going to take you out of your comfort zone. It's going to take you out of your bubble. If, if you're following a Jesus who lets you be at home in this world, that's not the Jesus of this Bible. Again, we're talking about making disciples. We've got to know what a disciple is. And a disciple is somebody who's not at home in this world. If all the customs, if all the ideologies, if all of the, the practices of Hancock County, of Kentucky, of the United States, of the western part of our world, if all of those things you're just right at home with, li living in, in this life and there's no friction there, there's no problem, there's a comfort, and you just live in that comfort, just doing what everyone else does, there's a sense in which you are not following Christ. Christ is always going to call you to places that are uncomfortable. Christ is always going to call you to live in ways that are foreign to this world in which we live. 
And depending on where you are in the world and what customs and what practices and, and what kind of sin is rampant in that particular culture and society, they will be different. All right. So, so following Jesus in Africa might mean that you give up different things and is difficult in different ways than it is following Jesus in Sudan or in China or, or in the United States. It's different, but in every culture, there's a sense in which we must be willing to leave home, so to speak. Even if we don't move geographically, we don't move locations, we've got to move away from this world. And that's what it means to be a disciple. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Secondly, this morning, we see that following Jesus requires an allegiance greater than any other earthly relationship. Now, this is the one to me that just jumps out. And I was even talking to Jared and Jared's like, I'm not sure. And and, and I was the same way. So I don't want to pin this on him. Right. I'm not sure. Is Jesus really saying to this man, don't bury your father before you come to follow me? That's hard to believe, isn't it? And yet I've heard some people try to explain away, well, maybe this was a very long burial process. Maybe this man's father hadn't actually died yet. He was on death's doorstep and, and, uh, Jesus saying, don't wait for him. We can't wait for him to die and go through all of that. Go ahead and and follow me. But I think what he's saying is what it says. If, If you're trying to read and interpret scripture, usually the best thing to do, uh, is just read it and take it for what it says. This man says, Look, I'll follow you, but first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But for as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Following Jesus requires an allegiance that is greater than any other earthly relationship. Now, we just need to understand from a biblical standpoint that, and, and from the Jewish culture that burying somebody, burying especially a close family member, especially your father, was no trivial matter. Uh, a Jewish mindset, family was the center of the universe, right? Uh, that was above everything else. And your obligations to family were some of your greatest obligations. Th- this was not a society where people took those familial obligations very lightly. It was deadly serious. And of course, as we come to understand, this is actually rooted in God's word in the Old Testament, right? Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. This teaching is upheld as well in in the New Testament. Jesus, I don't think here is is calling for this man to dishonor his father and mother. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.8, the Apostle Paul says this, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so when we read this text, what we don't need to do is say, well, Jesus is downplaying our obligation in those familial relationships. He's downplaying the importance of taking care of your aging father or burying uh, and honoring your, your parents when they pass away. Jesus is not in any way downplaying that. In fact, Jesus in other places, it condemns the Pharisees because they haven't been taking care of their parents. You remember uh, the practice was uh, that they could declare their income or their money, their property, their possessions as being devoted to the temple. There was a word Corbin that, that when I die, this is going to be given to the Lord. It's, it's Corbin. It's dedicated. And this to them was kind of a loophole for apparently for some that allowed them to get around their responsibility to care for their aging parents. 
Dad, Mom, I know you, you need help. Right? They didn't have nursing homes, they didn't have Medicare, all that kind of stuff that we have. Right? I know you need help, but I've dedicated all of my stuff to the temple, and so I can't, I can't give it away. I can't give it to you. And Jesus condemned them for that because he, he said, you have a fine way of getting around God's commandments to honor your father and mother with, with your own traditions. Jesus condemned them because uh, they, they ought to have cared for their parents. So Jesus isn't minimizing that obligation at all. What Jesus is actually doing is just helping us see how great the obligation is to follow him. You see, he's not saying your obligation to your father is not very great. No, Jesus would say that's actually a very important, very high obligation, but there's actually an obligation that's even higher than that. And that is the obligation for you to come and follow me and to go and preach the gospel. Jesus, one person says this, Jesus demands an allegiance transcending even the greatest filial obligations. So don't look at this and say, he's minimizing our responsibility to parents. No, he's recognizing the greatness of that, but he's saying there's something even greater. Following Jesus Christ is a a commitment that should be the greatest commitment of your life, even greater than your commitment to care for your parents, which ought to be a a, a high priority, obviously. Does Jesus, we might just apply this and we'd ask the question, right? Does Jesus require all people to miss the funerals of their parents? I don't think that's the point here. I don't think he's calling all of us to, to say, well, I'm too busy for men, with ministry. I'm too busy preaching the gospel to go to my parents' uh, funeral. But this man, he did require that of. This man had a particular task that Jesus had called them to do. He says, go and preach the gospel. This man, Jesus did require that of. And guess what? For some, Jesus does require that. The question, the point is not that all of us need to start missing funerals, claiming that we're too busy with the work of the Lord. The point is this, is my commitment to Christ so great that I would do that if he called me to do it? And we know of missionaries, don't we, who have left everything, who have left their families and have gone around the world and they're not able to make it home for every funeral. They're not able to make it home when their parents are sick. They're not able to always do that. And God may call you to that. The question is, is that your level of commitment or does that seem so unreasonable to you? Is there no way in this world that you would ever follow Christ if he requires something that stringent of you? And if so, then then your commitment to Christ is deficient. It's a deficient commitment. Jesus does, uh, one of the things that we, we notice here is that Jesus does what he requires his disciples to do. Is there anyone who had left their father to come and to be busy about the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus did that, right? Jesus laid aside his glory in heaven. And so he's doing what he, what he commands his disciples to do. Again, remember the context. This is the Jesus who's going to lay down his life. His face is set to Jerusalem. So he's only calling us to do what, what he's doing. The point of this is that if your view of being a Christian is one in which you you have the right to refuse when Jesus calls you to difficult and trying circumstances, then you have a deficient view of Christianity. If you're in the driver's seat and, and Jesus requires something of you and you say, oh no, that's, that's a bridge too far. 
right? That's a requirement that I'm not. Well, if there's anything in your life that is that way, then you have a deficient view of what it means to be a Christian. You see, if being a Christian is just about listening to Hillsong and wearing a, a cross while you main, ap, maintain absolute control of your life, then you haven't got Christianity at all. It's not about jewelry and music and spirituality. It's about this commitment fundamentally in our heart above everything else to follow Jesus Christ. Third this morning, following Jesus Christ requires spiritual life that enables you to see what is truly Important Here, Jesus says, let the dead, is a very enigmatic statement, let the dead bury their own dead. What does that mean? And I, I just think simply this, let, let people who are spiritually dead be the ones who take this responsibility to bury your father. Let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. And what does he mean by that? Let the spiritually dead bury uh, the physically dead. What he's saying is it's only those who have been given spiritual life who are able to see who, that Jesus is the Messiah, who are able to see that the kingdom of God has come. It's only who have this spiritual, those who have this spiritual life that have this insight. And, and that insight places upon them a great responsibility to go and preach the gospel. And so since you've been given this greater obligation, since you've been given spiritual life, since you can see this greater reality that's going on, you go preach the gospel. Let people who don't understand the kingdom of God, don't understand the gospel, let them take care of this trivial work now of, of burying the dead. Leon Morris says this in his commentary, let those without spiritual insight perform the duties they can do so well. Burial is very much in keeping with the, the, for the spiritually dead. But the man who has seen the vision must not deny or delay his heavenly calling. You know, there's an expression that I've heard kind of going around in, in pop culture. It's, it's a slang term, but, but people speak of being woke, which, which means this, that, that you are aware of what's going on, especially in certain uh, cultural settings, certain uh, uh, cultural problems that are, are going on. So if you're aware of the mistreatment of women and you see that and you're working to help rectify that, then you are woke, meaning you're awake to that reality. Right? And that's what Jesus is saying here. Listen, you are awake to this greater reality. The kingdom of God has come. I'm the son of God. I'm the Messiah, the savior of this world. You're awake to that reality. Everybody else out here is asleep. They don't have this insight. They don't have this. Let them take care of this burial. You go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Basically, he's, he's saying this, that... Uh, you, you can sit around and, and bury the dead, or you can go preach the message that will bring the dead to life. And that's what he calls him to do. Fourthly, following Jesus necessarily involves us in kingdom work. You notice what he, what he calls them here to in verse 60. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Again here, we see that Jesus isn't just saying, hey, miss your, your father's funeral for no, no good reason. He's called him to a specific task. I want you to go and preach the gospel. I want you to go and take this message. There's a work to be done that necessitates you leaving. And, and that, that leaving needs to happen now and not later. And, and so go and preach the gospel. 
following Jesus Christ is, is requires of us, not just in our life, to say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. It, it doesn't require of us just to live our own personal life out as, as followers of Christ, ascending to truth. And, but, but following Jesus Christ, what we need to see is, is calls us to actually be involved in this work of making disciples. It, it calls us to, to be those who go and proclaim the gospel. I don't want to jump ahead because we're actually not focusing on this now. We're going to focus on this in in a few weeks. The the fact that to be a disciple is to be someone who makes disciples, right? And so one person said this, Mark Dever said this, I thought it was good. He said, if you aren't helping other people follow Jesus, I don't know what you mean when you say you're following Jesus. To be his follower is to help others follow him. Every last one of us, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ this morning, you've been called to make disciples. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Are you obeying this command? Are you going and fulfilling the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel? Make disciples, he said. Remember in Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus said uh, another sort of enigmatic statement, uh, one that gets passed over a lot and, and, and a lot of people don't think about it that often, but where Jesus says there, you're either gathering with me or you're scattering. Very often Jesus used the analogy of a harvest and bringing people in, uh, into the kingdom and and going out and bringing them in like you would harvest grain. And, And Jesus said, look, here, here's one of the fundamental things that it means to be one of my followers. If you're not going out into the, the world and gathering people into the kingdom, if you're not gathering with me, then you're scattering. You're either with me or against me. To be a follower of Jesus Christ necessarily involves us in the work of the kingdom. So we don't sit back and just say, well, I'm a Christian. I go to church and I read my Bible. I've got my own personal faith, but I don't really get involved with anybody else. To be a disciple is to be one who makes disciples. So church, are we, are we doing that? Are we, are we going out and making disciples? Are we evangelizing? Are we involved in, with others even who are already Christians and helping them grow in their faith? Because discipleship begins with evangelism, but it continues through the rest of our lives. So we are to be people who are involved with encouraging and helping younger believers grow in their faith. And if we're not doing that, we have a deficient view of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Fifth and finally this morning, following Jesus means understanding the unique place of Christ. Here's another one that sounds similar. In verse 61, he says, yet another person said to him, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus saying here again, he's pressing this man on his priorities. In, in his wavering, Jesus senses in that uh, a sort of wavering in this commitment. Again, for the Jewish person, the, the family was the center of life. And, and Jesus is saying, look, it can't be that. I know right now for you, the most important thing is your family. And you feel like you must go back and say goodbye to them. But if you're going to be my follower, again, that can't be. Your family, your family cannot be the most important thing for you. 
That's how important this commitment is. That's the kind of priority list that Jesus demands. And this isn't just for the super spiritual. This isn't just when you, again, we talked about this last week. This isn't just when you reach a certain level of maturity. Finally, you get everything in order. Jesus is saying, this is fundamental to what it means to be my disciple. Your family, which for most of us, right, even though we're not part of Jewish culture, most of us, for us, that's the center of our life. That's the most important thing. And Jesus is saying, it can't be that. Your family, your children, your mother and father cannot be the most important thing. If you're to be my disciple, I've got to be first, even above that. So he takes the he takes the highest thing. He takes the most important thing that would come to their mind. And he says, listen, this is the priority list. Just so you get it. Just so you understand. I've got to be even above your family. Now, is he calling us to not take care of our family or not love our family? That's that's not at all what he's calling us to. He's not, again, he's not lowering the expectations for our familial relationship. He's not lowering those at all. He would have us hold those in very high regard. And yet he's saying there's even a greater commitment. The commitment to follow me is greater than that. That's very interesting, I I think, as we look to... um, this commitment, it's interesting to think about those other disciples who did exactly what Jesus is saying. We talked last week about James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They leave their dad in the boat and they're gone, right? That was, that, that was an accurate response to Jesus' call to discipleship. This man's response is deficient. They're willing to leave their father. Matthew was willing to do the same thing. He, he left the, the tax collecting tables where he was and he left everything, it says, and he followed Jesus. What is really interesting to me is that I think this, this story here draws from the Old Testament. Uh, you remember, if you remember this story, Elijah and Elisha. Elijah was the prophet and he was getting older. He was going off the scene. And, and he's discouraged and God says, listen, I've called another man to come and to take your place, Elisha, this younger prophet. And I want you to go to him and call him and tell him uh, this work that he's, that he's got to do. And Elijah goes to Elisha and, and Elisha says, okay, I'll follow you. I'll go with you. Let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. And Elijah's like, go ahead, go say goodbye to your family and, and come and follow. And, and you're going to be this great prophet. That was okay for Elijah. But what we need to see and understand, I think what this is drawing on to point us to is, is what the gospels say in another place, that one greater than Elijah has come. There's someone who's greater than Elijah. If you're following Elijah, then by all means go back and say goodbye to your family. But if you're coming to follow Jesus Christ, that commitment has to be first. It's, it's showing us the greatness of who Jesus Christ is. As great as Elijah was, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, as great as he was, Jesus is greater. Jesus is not just a great prophet. He's the Son of God. He's not just some great teacher. He's the the Messiah who's bringing in the kingdom of God. And and the greatness of who he is requires absolute subjection to him. Without wavering, without faltering, without hesitation, the, the call to follow Jesus requires absolute commitment. So let's just close this morning and and conclude with this. As we think again about our vision to grow disciples in community, we exist to glorify God by growing disciples of Jesus Christ. This is what our metric is. This is the goal. 
This is the standard. We are seeking to grow people, to make people who, who have forsaken everything else in this life in order to follow Jesus Christ, who have following Jesus Christ at the top of their list, right? So we're not here to make church attenders. We're, we're not here to just help people be a little more spiritual. We're not, we're not here just to help people enjoy good Christian music or, or fellowship. We are here to help people in their commitment to follow Jesus Christ above everything else including their family. That's the metric. That's the goal that we're pushing toward. And so we need to understand this. Let let me ask you this as well. Again, we've said you cannot be a disciple or you cannot make disciples if you are not yourself a disciple. So let me just ask you this as we conclude this morning. I'll have Daniel come up uh, and, and the music team. Is that an accurate depiction of your life? Are there commitments... Uh, On your chart here, as you're organizing those commitments, are there commitments that you have that are greater than your commitment to Christ? Are are there things in your life that you say, I'll follow Jesus Christ, but these two things, you know, those come first. So after number one and number two, then I'll I'll follow Christ. Well, if, if that's the case, you have a deficient view of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to be a follower of Christ. As you come to Christ, and what I would invite you to do this morning, if you've never done that this morning, is to make that commitment and to say, I I want to be a follower of Christ. I want him to be first in my life. I see that he is my Savior, he's my Lord, and that I am absolutely committing my life to him above everything else. That's what I would invite you to do this morning. Daniel, you come, and I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we, we pray that uh, each one of us would would assess our lives, that we would consider what it really means to be a disciple, that we would see the weight of that and that we would respond accurately to who you are. Help us to understand your, your worth and your value and, and the fact that you truly are the Son of God. Lord, when we think of it in that light, that's not an unreasonable expectation at all. So help us to live that out. Lord, help us to root out anything in our lives that is rivaling for our our commitment with you. Help us to have you first in our lives. Lord, as we sang earlier, we we just come this morning recognizing that we are weak people. And so as I think about this commitment and I think about my own life, Lord, I recognize I cannot do that. I I cannot. I don't have the strength. I don't have the power. I don't don't have the spiritual stamina to always make you first in my life. We, We need your grace. We need your help. We need you to give us the power and the strength to do what you command us to do. And so we pray that you would do that this morning. I pray that if there's one here this morning who has never put their faith in you, who has never given their life to you to follow you, I pray that you would open their eyes this morning to see this reality. Help them to be awake. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.